Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Hey everybody, great to be back with you this morning. 2014 was, um, I I would say, a defining year in my life. Um, I actually call it lovingly my third conversion. Because in 2014, I was had been swimming in the waters of emotionally healthy spirituality uh, for the better part of about 10 years. And I had kind of gone through a process of becoming aware of emotionally healthy spirituality and how do we start to become self-aware? How do we become aware of how God is speaking to us, how God is coming to us? And many times when he comes to us, he comes to us through um, the language of our soul, through our desires, through our longings, through what's happening in our hearts that we sometimes just don't give permission to listen to. He also speaks to us through the language of our bodies. Uh, Our physical body is always telling us a story. And I was becoming aware of certain things happening in me and through me. Uh, I was also becoming more and, and tipping my toes in some emotional honesty. How do I become honest and vulnerable about some of the things I'm feeling? And how do I begin to express those uh, in a place that I feel is safe? And, and I was starting to do that. And in the process, I'm, I'm really loving God better, and I'm starting to love myself better. And so for the better part of 10 years, I had been on a journey of an awareness and a pondering and even a valuing of emotional spirituality. But it wasn't until 2014 when I crossed over an action gap. And I actually started to prioritize and to own in my life, emotionally healthy spirituality, that I would say real transformation began to take place in my life. And as it began to take place in my life, it began to trickle out and affect my relationships. It began to affect my family. It began to affect my, my leadership. And really everything about my life was now being shaped by how I was understanding God and understanding myself better through emotionally healthy spirituality. And in 2014, on my first sabbatical I'd ever taken, um, I had been in ministry uh, the better part of 25 years, a quarter of a century. Fourteen of those years were spent here at this church through a very long journey of 14 years. And I didn't believe that I actually needed a sabbatical. I remember friends of mine and mentors saying to me, um, you're going to fix things and you're going to get broken in the process. And you need to take care well of yourself. And I, I honestly didn't even know the first thing about what that meant to take care of myself well. I think I always believed that that soul care and taking care of myself was somewhat selfish. And I began to learn in the process of uh, becoming aware of some things and honest about things that uh, it actually is the greatest way to love God, to care well for ourselves. And in 2014, I made a number of really important decisions in my life that I think were shaped by my... uh, Uh, my growth in emotional awareness and emotional honesty, uh, and some that I felt were so significant that without them, I was not going to have a sustainable life in ministry the way God intended. And in 2014, one of the decisions I made is that I was going to intentionally lead through my marriage. That I wasn't just going to have a marriage. That I wasn't just going to have a family, but I was going to actually let my life's leadership 
flow from that as a sign and wonder to the world. That's really what God intended marriage to be, by the way, is a sign and a wonder of his love and his relationship with us. And so I made a decision in 2014, and I had a a conversion of sorts in my understanding of marriage. And I had had a good marriage, and I would say for the most part it had been fine, but, but I really wasn't prioritizing it the way that I needed to, and I really wasn't leading through my marriage. And so I decided in 2014 that from that day forward, I was going to do two things. One, I was going to date my wife. And I actually made an intentional decision that I was going to date and court and pursue her, just like when we were dating. And as I began to do that, things in our marriage, and by the way, it took time, it took energy, uh, it took us fighting to do that, to make that a priority. But every week, at least once a week, we have a date. And we go out on a date because we believe it's valuable. The second thing I decided in 2014 is that every single year from that day forward, I would always do at least once a year a couple-only vacation. No kids allowed. No grandkids allowed. (laughs) Just me and the missus. Where we can actually reconnect our hearts. Uh, We can actually get caught up in life. We can actually slow down enough to make sure that we are present with God, present with one another, and present with ourselves. And the last uh, two weeks, um, last Sunday I came back, but, but the two weeks prior I was actually on a couple-only vacation, um, spending time with Kelly, and it was a wonderful time. And uh, we are so thankful for all that God is doing in our marriage and so thankful for all that God is doing in our life and in our leadership here at Grace Crossing Church, we came back saying that as we were returning, so filled with gratitude at all that the Lord has done and all that the Lord continues to do in our life. And when I returned, I actually, on my desk, had a magazine sitting with some other mail that was a ministry magazine, an international journal for pastors. I thought it was very appropriate because it just simply said the title was Leading Together, The Image of a Sheep. with his crook, with the shepherd's rod. And I I thought it was fitting, this idea of leading together, because I always want to remind myself, even as I looked at this, that I don't do what I do alone. I do this with God, and I do this with a team of leaders here at Grace Crossing Church, a phenomenally gifted team that God has assembled together here at the church uh, that actually make it possible for my wife and I to get away for a, a, a period of time and actually get refreshed and replenished and rejuvenated. And so I'm thankful for the leadership of our church. I'm thankful for Pastor Life uh, and his leadership here and bringing God's word these last couple of weekends. Uh, and if you haven't heard those messages, I would encourage you to go to the podcast and to listen so that you can stay uh, in sync with our entire series Uh, on this 23 and me. And so uh, I had someone ask me this question actually just a few days ago. Someone said to me, have you been reading any good leadership books lately? 
Um, and, and I love leadership books, and I've read tons of them. My library's filled with leadership books. But my response to the individual was, no, I really haven't read um, any leadership books as of late because where my heart has been drawn more has been to books that are nourishing my soul. And then I thought after I left that conversation, I actually replayed it in my mind and I realized this. I have been reading a very good leadership book every day. In fact, for years I've been reading the most solid leadership book you'll ever find on the market anywhere. Uh, It's one that is authored by the greatest leader that ever lived and the greatest leader that ever modeled leadership for us. And it's filled with leadership principles from the opening cover and the opening chapter to the final chapter. All 66 chapters of the book is a leadership book. And that is the Bible. That is the Word of God. And I can't think of a passage that any more captures leadership than Psalm 23, the passage that we have been sitting in over the last seven weekends, that we've been allowing God to uh, stir in our hearts, that we've been allowing God to bring insights to us about what leadership is all about. This uh, entire chapter, six verses, is about leadership. It's about the leadership of a shepherd who is faithfully and diligently dispensing his duties to lead the sheep, to lead them on the cycle of journey that God had for them. And this morning, I want to read the entire verses to you, all six of them. And we have a picture this morning that we'll have on the screen that actually, I think, gives us a frame of what we'll focus on here this morning uh, in this seventh week of 23 and Me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, one of my favorite aspects of vacation is that I get time to read the things that I'm feeling my heart drawn to. I actually have time to leisurely take time to walk through and live in the material that I'm going through. And in our two weeks of vacation, I actually had the chance to read three books 
Uh, the first book that I read was a book that was written by a Franciscan friar entitled Everything Belongs, The Gift of Contemplative Prayer. The second book I read was actually a book called Soul Rest. It was written by an evangelical pastor who felt the need to leave full-time vocational ministry, ministry to regain his life and to reclaim his soul. Kind of tragic, but that's where he was in his life. And then the third book that I read is a book that I've read a number of times in my life. It's one of my go-to books. Uh, it's a spiritual classic. It's entitled The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And it is a book that is rich with the idea that, that we are created to pursue God. But there's another aspect of this that this morning we're going to focus on. Because there's actually a focus and a shift on that that happens in Psalm 23 and verse number 6. But I think that idea of the pursuit of God is a great frame for what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's read Psalm 23, verse number 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, at first glance at Psalm 23, 6, it appears as though this verse is not in sync with the rest of Psalm 23. I mean, the first five verses are all about this earthly pilgrimage that the shepherd is on with the sheep. But when you come to this verse in verse number six, it's almost as though he moves the author of this particular chapter, David, that he moves from an earthly pilgrimage to an ethereal one, to a one that is otherworldly. It's not until we drill down into this text that we actually can begin to discover the richness of the relationship of the shepherd with the sheep that David here is pointing out. Now, there's so much here in this one verse that we're going to actually break this one verse into two weeks. This morning, all I want to do is I want to focus on just the first few words of Psalm 23.6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. That's what we're going to focus on today. David here actually begins with an interesting word. He says, surely. Now he starts Psalm 23 with a declaration of a growing awareness and a growing confidence in the shepherd. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is a sense of a growing awareness and confidence. But by the time he hits Psalm 23, 6, he has moved beyond confidence to assurance. There is a difference between confidence and assurance. I meet people from time to time who actually say to me, I, I go to church faithfully, I serve God faithfully, I, I, I love God, 
but, but I just don't know if God loves me. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm going to get to heaven. I don't know, and I, I even question my own salvation. It's one thing to have confidence in somebody or something. It's another thing to have assurance. What's the difference? The difference is this. Assurance is confidence that has been substantiated. You, you begin with confidence having a, uh, a feeling or a belief that you can rely upon someone or rely upon something. But assurance? Assurance is a firm trust in that feeling and that belief. It's going beyond just, just saying that I feel like I can trust or I, I feel like that that person can be relied upon. It's going to the place where you now have that firm trust and you are now declaring it publicly. At this point in the journey between the shepherd and the sheep, there has been about a year cycle. The sheep have experienced the shepherd firsthand. They have been the recipients of his love, his care, his faithfulness, his kindness, his concern. And what happens at this juncture is that the sheep are looking back and they're actually seeing something. They're seeing that their confidence has been fully substantiated. They don't just have confidence now, they have assurance. That word surely could actually be translated most assuredly. Most assuredly goodness and loving kindness will follow me. In 1820, a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby was born. Some of you might be familiar with that name. Fanny Crosby lived for 95 years, but here's her, uh, here's her claim, and this is where she is most recognized. Fanny Crosby, at the age of just six weeks, was blinded by an illness. It was said of her that her eyes are closed, but her heart can see clearly. By the time she was just six years old, Fanny Crosby wrote her first spiritual song. And over the course of her lifetime, she wrote some 8,000 spiritual songs and hymns. 8,000. Now, you may know some of them, but perhaps her best known and most beloved hymn that she ever wrote was one that was called Blessed Assurance. I'm just curious, how many of you here are familiar with the, the hymn, Blessed, look at the hands, Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. But I love verse number three. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness. Lost in his love. This is my story. 
This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This, this is the place where the sheep are. They are saying, I in my shepherd am happy and blessed. Because I have followed faithfully, because there has been perfect submission, all now is at rest. I and my shepherd am happy and blessed. I'm watching and I'm waiting. I'm looking above. Why? Because I'm filled with his goodness and I'm lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my shepherd all the day long. That's where David begins. Blessed assurance. But Psalm 23, 6 really hinges on one key word. And the key word of Psalm 23, 6 is this word follow. Follow. For the entire journey of the shepherd's relationship with the sheep, the sheep were always relegated to a followership. The shepherd is always out in front leading the way. But there's a change of sorts that happens when finally in the relationship you come to Psalm 23, verse number 6. It isn't a change in roles, but it is a change in positions. All of a sudden the shepherd is not just merely leading, but the shepherd at times is also following. The sheep have now arrived to a place where they are contented fully. They are fully satisfied. They are fully at rest. They're no longer wanting. They're no longer needing because everything has been met by the shepherd. And now, they're relaxed. The shepherd is relaxed. But the shepherd never takes his eyes off of the sheep. There is a place of freedom that the sheep have arrived to. And because they have faithfully trusted their shepherd, they are now entrusted with freedom to roam freely on the tableland, to roam freely in the field. Have you ever felt like you were being followed? You ever just had a sense that somebody is following me? You know, when it's an unknown presence, it can be a really eerie feeling, can it? Over the last number of years, my wife and I uh, have, interestingly enough, gotten into some crime drama. Not, not just crime drama like, like here from the United States. We like British crime drama. Okay, now, if you're going to watch British crime dra drama, Turn on the subtitles, just a fair warning right at the beginning. Okay, but over the last number of years, we've, we've gotten into several shows like Broadchurch, Happy Valley, and we did some binge watching over vacation of a crime drama called Hinterland. And, and the thing about all of these British crime dramas is, I, I mean, I absolutely love the scenery. I love the accents. It's just so fun to listen to. But in so many of those cases, there is a sense that they're being watched. Somebody is watching. Somebody is stalking. And I love what the picture is here 
uh, in the Hebrew language of that word follow. Because in the Hebrew language, that word doesn't just mean to casually walk behind someone. The word in the Hebrew actually means to pursue or to chase after. Have you ever stopped to think about this? That you are not just pursuing God, but God is pursuing you? Have you ever stopped to think that there is a pursuit that is happening where God is actually chasing after you in an attempt to chase you down? And I got news for you this morning. From the time that you have been born, God has been in pursuit of you. God's been after a relationship with you. You may think here this morning, I chose to come to Grace Crossing. I chose to have a relationship with God. No, you didn't. God chased you down. God pursued you. Yes, you at some point had to turn your life to him. You had to recognize him. But God has been the one who initiated the pursuit. God's been following you. And what the Bible promises us is this. The Bible promises us that God will not only be the one to go out in front of us to lead us, but the Bible also suggests that God will be faithful to be what's called our rear guard. In fact, that term is used in Scripture. I look at Isaiah chapter 58 when it talks about fasting and how our faithfulness and fasting will bring a result. Here's what it says the result will be. Your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. It's a military term. So it is a particular idea of a military force that actually is responsible to make sure that the advanced team, whether it is an advanced team on a strategic mission or it is a strategic withdrawback, that the job of the rear guard is to deflect, to disrupt, to get in the way of, to create confusion, even to spoil a counterattack of the enemy. Why? Because they're buying more time for the troops to find a safe place. I love that imagery when it thinks when I, in terms of God. Listen, God is your rear guard. We say it this way today. God has your back. He doesn't just have your front. God is not just going in front of us to lead us, but God has our back. God is coming behind us as our rear guard to watch over us, to protect us from who? From the enemy. That is also in pursuit that also would love to chase us down, to trip us up, to get us confused, to cause us to have doubt in the good shepherd. But God is pursuing. God is chasing. And there are two particular things and aspects of God's nature that are constantly pursuing you. Only two that are mentioned in Psalm 20. 23, verse 6. Now, we all know there are many more than just two. But why does the psalmist here mention only two? Goodness and loving kindness. I think it's because those were the two that best characterized the way that the sheep experienced 
the shepherd. When the sheep thought about the shepherd, there are two things and two characteristics more than all others that rise up to the surface. And those characteristics were goodness and loving kindness. And we are going to take time to drill down on both of those this morning because they are profound. Of all of the things that we could talk about this morning, about the character and the nature of God, these two, I think, are the most important and most pronounced. The first thing that is pursuing us is goodness. Goodness. Let's be honest for just a moment. Have you ever questioned whether God is good? Have you ever wondered whether God is good? I mean, do we really believe that God is good? Really good. Now, the truth is this. It is easy to claim that God is good when life is good. Right? So when things are going well with your family, it's easy to say God is good. When your career is going in the right trajectory and everything looks good on the job front, it's easy to say, man, God is so good. When your health is good and your family's health is good, it's so easy, isn't it? to flippantly make the claim that God is good. But what about when life doesn't feel good? What about when the wheels are coming off in your life? Is God good then? What about when your family takes a turn for the worst in a direction you could have never imagined? Is God good then? What about when you suddenly find out that you are the product of a downsize at your job. Is God good then? What about when there's a tornado that strikes the homes of neighbors and loved ones, maybe struck your home? Is God good then? Or when there's a shooting, a mass shooting in El Paso or one overnight that took place right here in the Oregon district with 10 people that have been gunned down and over two dozen that are fighting for their lives. Is God good then? You see, we often question the goodness of God when life isn't good. But let me tell you what my conviction is today. I don't believe that we can fully trust God until we are fully convinced God is good. If we question the goodness of God, then it calls into question everything about God. And then can we trust him? So we got to understand what David here is saying when he says, surely goodness is following. Surely goodness is pursuing me. In the Hebrew culture, there are two ways that word goodness were used. The first in the Hebrew culture is that they often used the word goodness when they were talking about something that was pleasant to the senses. In other words, something that looks good. 
Something that smells good. Come on, we all know what that's like. Something that tastes good. That's the way the word is used in the culture. But there's another way the word was used. And the second way that word goodness was often used was to talk about something that was highly esteemed as beautiful. It's the same word that appears in the creation narrative in Genesis 1. And it's repeated over and over and over again. When God is making and God is creating the world, the Bible says after each part of creation, God hits the pause button and God says it is good. It is highly esteemed as beautiful. But in God's swan song, which was his final masterpiece, the creation of mankind, God doesn't say it was good. What does God say? It's very good. It's very beautiful. My creative energy has produced something that is magnificent. Now, now, now listen to what I'm about to say this morning. That is what God thinks of you regardless of what you think of yourself. It doesn't make a difference how you may feel about yourself this morning. When God looks at his creation, what does God see in you? God sees his image. God sees his likeness. God sees goodness. God sees beauty. Now, it doesn't mean we're living beautiful lives. It doesn't mean we're making good decisions. But God sees you the way he saw you when he created you, when he made you when he designed you. Now here's what's important for you to hear about this. The shepherd's job was to make sure that the sheep felt his goodness. And the sheep were not accepted by the shepherd based on their goodness. It was not based on their most recent behavior. It was not based on their activity. In fact, they could do nothing to earn the goodness of the shepherd. All they could do was receive it. It was wholly based on the goodness of the shepherd. When the Bible says that surely goodness follows us, it means this. It means God is pursuing us to bring to bear his goodness, not because we are good all the time, but because he is good all the time. It never changes. And I think it's really important you understand this. So when Jesus makes a declaration in John chapter 10, and he says, I am the shepherd, he doesn't just say, I am the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. It was a messianic proclamation that was intended to fulfill Psalm 23. And listen to this. Jesus Christ is the ultimate proof that God is good. Jesus is the ultimate proof that God is good. When he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, all of that is following you, and it's now here in my person. There's a song that we sing here at Grace Crossing Church from time to time. It's actually one of my very favorites. It's called Forever Rain. 
Because I love the way it starts. You are good. You are good when there's nothing good in me. God, you're still good. Even when there's not goodness in me. Even when things in my life don't feel good. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't in one way change your character, your nature, and your goodness. And you are good all the time, God. And my confidence in that, my assurance in that, is what helps me to trust you fully. And there's a second thing that David talked about following him. Not just goodness. But he said goodness and loving kindness. Loving kindness. Now this is a rich word in the Old Testament. In fact, um, I often don't use original Greek or Hebrew words for a lot of reasons. One, I can't pronounce them well. Um, But the other reason is, I I don't think it's really significant for us to know them most of the time. This is a word that you should know. It's a word that is an equivalent word to the New Testament word that we we talk about from time to time here. Uh, The Greek word is agape or agape, love. Okay, It's God's love. That's one of the Greek New Testament words that I have used from time to time because it's such a sacred word. It's such a high word. This word in the Old Testament that's translated loving kindness is a word that's like that. In fact, it's used nearly 250 times in the Old Testament. And it most often speaks of God's relationship And God's love toward us. It's the word hesed. Hesed. Now, if it's pronouncing it in Hebrew, it'd be the word chesed, okay? You gotta have that guttural, right? But it's the word hesed. This word hesed that appears nearly 250 times in the Old Testament is a word that means a love that cannot be broken. It's a love that has no boundaries, a love that has no limits, a love that has no breaking point. It's a love that says, I will to love unconditionally. I will to love by giving all of myself. I will to love by an act of selfless generosity. It's a come what may love. It's a nothing can change it love. In fact, in the Hebrew culture, this word hesed was a, was a legally binding kind of love. The closest thing we have to it today is marriage. And marriage in our culture falls woefully short of this kind of love because those covenant vows are broken all the time. Hesed love is not like that. Hesed love is a love that cannot be broken. It has no boundaries No limits and no breaking points. You've got to hear that this morning. That is the kind of love that's following you and following me as the sheep. That's what the sheep experience from the shepherd. So this word hesed is at other places in the the Old Testament translated steadfast love. Psalm 136, look at it here. Verses 23 and 24, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. For his 
Hesed, his steadfast love, endures how long? Forever. And he's rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love, his Hesed endures how long? Forever. Look at Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord, the Hesed love of the Lord ceases how often? Never. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. Can you imagine that kind of love? Some of us can only dream of it. We've never even experienced even a taste. We haven't even dipped our toes in the water of what that love is like. But it's profound. I like to think of Hesed love as God's stubborn love. It's a love that says, I love you as you are and not as you should be because you'll never be as you should be. So just deal with it. That's that stubborn love of God. It goes, listen, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter what your most recent behavior has been. You cannot alter this love that I have for you. It's that profound. It's that significant. That's the kind of love that God says is pursuing us, chasing us down. It's so significant. Now, I love what the the Passion Translation, how it captures Psalm 23.6. Let's take a look at that together as we kind of wrap things up this morning. Here's how the, the, the Passion Translation captures it. Why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. That's not talking about when you get to eternity. That's talking about the here and now. God's after you. God's chasing you down. You may be here this morning and you may have been running from God. You're not even sure why you showed up at Grace Crossing today. You may be here and you may feel totally unworthy. You're singing the songs. You're going, God, I feel so dirty. I feel so empty. I I feel like I don't even deserve to be in your presence today. You know what God's been doing all morning? God's been chasing after your heart to let you know that he wants you to experience his goodness. He wants you to experience his hesed love, his stubborn love that says, I accept you as you are, not as you should be, because you'll never be what you should be. So I'm accepting you just like you are. And by the time the sheep have experienced this kind of journey over a year with the shepherd, they're not questioning goodness anymore. They're not questioning loving kindness anymore. Their hearts are settled. They have full assurance. Because God's left something behind. The shepherd has left something with them. He's left goodness and he's left loving kindness. Even when they can't see the shepherd, they remember those two things. There's no forgetting them because they experienced them firsthand. So I love what Joel chapter 2 says, and we'll close with this this morning. Joel prophesies, return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, and boundless in loyal love. That is the word hesed. Often relenting from calamitous punishment. Who knows? I love what Joel says. Who knows? 
perhaps he'll be compassionate. And he'll grant a reprieve and leave a blessing in his wake. Here's where I want to take us this morning as we close. When we were down in Florida, one night we decided to take a water taxi ride. And we got on the water taxi in the harbor, which is a no-wake zone, which simply means that boats are not to be throttling when they come in to the harbor and when they're leaving the harbor, that are idled down to just a neutral speed and let the boat kind of coast. And the water taxi driver had some time, and she wasn't in a hurry because she wasn't getting calls, so she took us out to the rim of the harbor, right where it goes into the Gulf of Mexico, and she was making a turn when all of a sudden a commercial ship filled with passengers came into the no-wake zone, full throttle, and the waves started rocking. She had some colorful language she used at that moment. There's some colorful metaphors she was sharing about the other captain. And our boat starts rocking on the high seas, right? This little boat starts to shake and rock. And she was not happy. I thought of that when I read this. God is always leaving a wake behind him. God is always leaving something that's going to affect us. My question is, how are you experiencing the wake of God in your life these days? Are you experiencing goodness? Are you experiencing loving kindness? If not, my challenge to you is go back to Psalm 23 right at the beginning and start there. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the starting point. That's the place where it all begins. And not only is God leaving a wake, but listen to what I'm going to say this morning. You and I are always leaving a wake behind us. So I love the words of author Philip Keller, who actually uh, said this, and I, I want to read it, and then we'll take some time just to reflect and pray. He said, The only real practical measure of my appreciation for the goodness and loving kindness of God to me is the extent to which I am, in turn, prepared to show goodness and loving kindness to others. I want you to prepare yourself right now for prayer, and I want to read this quote one more time. Become present with God right now as we prepare to pray. You may want to empty your hands of things. You may want to just... Place your hands open before you. And as we quiet our hearts and we move into just a time of reflection, let me read this one more time. The only real practical measure of my appreciation for the goodness and loving kindness of God to me is the extent to which I am in turn prepared to show goodness and loving kindness to others. As we reflect this morning, and before we close our time in prayer, let me ask you two questions. Prayerfully and reflectively. Here's the first. When people think about me, what emotions come to their mind? 
In other words, what attributes surface when they think back on their experience with us? Do they think goodness? Do they think loving kindness or something totally different? Something else? That would be a good one to unpack with God this week. Here's the second one. What is my relational wake? Because all of us, like God, have a relational wake. We're affecting those around us. In other words, what emotional impact am I making on those with whom I am currently in relationship? My prayer for us here at Grace Crossing Church is that we would be a church that would be known for goodness and loving kindness. That people, when they think about us as a faith community, that those two words would come to their mind. It's a church filled with goodness. It's, it's a community of people filled with Hesed love. We are most like God when we are loving others like the shepherd loves us as his sheep. Would you stand, please, as we pray? Pastor Life is going to come and close us this morning. Before we pray, and as you're reflecting on those questions, we also want to just take some time. Uh, we know, we've heard this morning that his, his goodness and loving kindness is locked in, but yet when something like the tragedy that hit here in Dayton hits us, it, it causes us to, you know, wrestle and struggle, um, even as Pastor Gill was talking about, is he still good? Is he still a God of loving kindness? So I want to also pray for us, pray for our community as well during this time. So let's close our eyes in prayer. Father, we want to take in um, Psalm 23 in these areas of goodness and loving kindness, that we would be reflective of that in our lives, that we would be reflective of that as a church. But we know, too, that life in this world they throw us curveballs, and they hit us, and we're in shock, and we don't know what to think. We don't know what to say. There's sadness. There's anger. There's a mixture of things. And, Lord, we know you're with us in that. Your goodness and loving kindness is there. And I pray for us as a church that we would allow your presence to come into this situation that's affected our community and our city. And we would allow you, Lord God, to be that refuge, to be the stability that we need, first for ourselves personally, and then knowing how to best respond. So thank you that you're a good shepherd. Thank you that you're with us, even in the valleys, even in the difficult things of this life. We praise you. We acknowledge that we trust you and that we love you, no matter what come what may, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great morning. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.